All right. Um, well, I'm glad to be here. I, I joked about it a couple weeks ago when I, when I preached that I'm the judgment guy at Wayside. And so I feel like wherever I go, judgment, plagues, and sickness follow me. Okay, so here we are. Um, yeah, I, I love Camp Eagle. So this is where we take our, our singles group as well. And so we bring our singles group out to Camp Eagle. I love it here. It's beautiful. This is God's country. Um, and I also love it out here because um, that road coming in is no joke. All right, so... So you figure out if you're committed real, real fast, right, if you make it here. So you guys, this is the cream of the crop. This is the remnant at Wayside because um, not everybody will be able to make this trip. Um, but when Stephen first approached me about the men's retreat and kind of told me what him and his leadership team were thinking, um, my, my initial thought was like, man, y'all bold. <laughs> okay. uh, um, it's men's retreat. I can talk like that here. <laughs> And they, they told me, they said, hey, we're actually, we're thinking about doing a retreat that's in-house. We're not going to bring in a speaker. And we're going to talk about prayer, which is not something that most men um, like talking about. And so they picked an unpopular topic, and they're doing something that they've really never have done before. And I'm just telling you, that's not normal. Okay, most men's pastors, most pastors at, at churches, like if they're doing retreats, they're just going to keep doing the same thing. Okay, whatever's work, let's just keep, let's not do anything that's uncomfortable. And so the fact that our, our men's team came together and they said, hey, we feel like God has put this on our hearts and we want to be obedient to what he's put on our hearts. I mean, that is a testament uh, to their faithfulness and, and they're just a tremendous example to all of us. All right, so hats off to our men's leadership team. I mean, y'all are, y'all are, praise, yeah, praise God. Okay, y'all are wonderful. Uh, but personally, when I found out that we were going to be talking about prayer, um, I was pretty jacked, okay, because I, I fully believe that prayer, prayer is the engine that the church runs on, okay? Prayer is the power source that you and I pull from in order to live a life as God. It is impossible, okay? it's in, impossible as a man to live a God-honoring life to lead in your homes, to lead in the workplace, to lead in the church apart from a life that is steeped in prayer, okay? We've got to have that. We've got to. So this is a crucial retreat for y'all because we've got to get this. If we can't get this, we won't get anything else. We won't. Um, And so before we jump in, I figured, hey, it's a prayer retreat. Let's just, we might as well pray every chance we get. Um, And so I'm going to do that again. I'm going to ask that y'all pray. And what I want y'all to do um, is, I'm going to challenge you a little bit, is I want you to grab two guys next to you. And y'all are just going to come together where you're at, and we're just going to pray. And we're going to ask that God would speak to us during this time as we continue walking through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be talking about forgiveness. And I want us just to get in groups of three. Um, and just be bold, and let's just pray over this time, okay? And then I'll give you like a 15-second warning, and then I'm going to pray over you, okay? All right, let's do that.
All right, here's your 10-second warning. All right, well, Father God, we come before you, and we ask that you would move through this time. We ask that you would move through your word, and we ask that you would move through our hearts as we try to interact with your word. God, we thank you for this time, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, well, prayer, uh, prayer has always been a pretty big part of my life. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I don't know if I ever, I, I don't think I fully realized what a, what a saving relationship with, with Christ meant until I was 18. Uh, but up until then, I, mean, I grew up in a Christian home. We talked about God. And so I've really always believed in the existence of a God. And I, I had a vague understanding uh, that somehow God interacts with us through prayer. And so some of my earliest memories, some of my earliest childhood memories are times when I was praying with God. And so for whatever reason, when I was three, four years old, I was, I was extremely fearful uh, that I was going to lose my parents to some horrific accident or something evil was going to happen to them. And so some of my earliest memories are my parents watching TV on the couch. And as a three, four-year-old kid, I would understand or know that I was doing this. And I would hide behind their couch and I would just pray for God's protection. I'd pray for God's protection over my family. Uh, just honest, humble, childlike prayer. I mean, those are some of my earliest memories. Uh, and then as I got older, especially into my teenage years, my prayer life shifted from this honest, humble, childlike prayer uh, to these self-centered, negotiating type of prayers. Um, and they usually centered around three main ideas. Uh, number one was Aggie football. Okay. Um, I mean, during Aggie football games, I prayed more during those games than I did the rest of the year. Okay, I, I gave my life to the Lord so many times during an Aggie game. Begging and pleading uh, that we would win the game. And he was largely quiet, okay, during all those prayers. Um, he's starting to answer them prayers, though, amen, okay? But it's taking some time. Um, the second main, main thing that my prayer life was centered around was the ladies, okay, was, was the girls. Um, and so, amen, uh, because like most of us here growing up, I thought about girls all the time. I remember specifically when I played baseball this one year, I was in the outfield, which those of you that play baseball, you know when you're in the outfield, there's not a whole lot of action going on, so you got a lot of time to think, and so I thought about what most guys think about, which was pretty much sex all the time, and so I'm sitting there, and, and I'm praying in the outfield, uh, not that God would give me discipline in my sex life, but I'm saying, God, give me some opportunities, okay? <laughs> give me some opportunities, and so I remember trying to negotiate. I'm like, God, I will give up baseball if you'll give me this fine honey over here, okay? I'll do anything. Um, and then the, the third main thing that, that my prayer life was centered around was fishing, okay? Fishing. And so when I was on the boat with my dad, my prayer game was strong, okay? It was strong. I remember this specific time where me and my cousin, we were at Port Aransas, and we're fishing the surf. And we're, we cast out to that second sandbar, and we come together, we never pray, but we 
by golly, we pray when we fish. And so we came together and we started praying. We say, hey, God, like we just pray that you put a big red fish on this line. And right when we said amen, that pole went whop and did a you. And we, we're like, are you kidding me? And we start freaking out. And we're like, we knew there was a God. We knew it, okay? We knew it. And we brought in this huge red fish, okay? And we prayed every time we fished after that, okay? That, but that was my prayer life. That's what prayer looked like for Jason Upmore um, for most of my life up until about 18, 19 years of age. And while I can share some really funny stories uh, about me negotiating with God, uh, the reality is, the reality is, is as, as I grew up, something dark, twisted, began to happen in my prayer life. Something dark and very twisted began to happen in my relationship with God. I started to believe that I could somehow negotiate with God and negotiate with Him in my spiritual life. That if I did certain things to appease God then he would reward me by answering some of my selfish prayers. Okay? If I lived in obedience with the scriptures, okay, or if I prayed enough, if I went to church enough, then maybe God would hear my prayers. But if I didn't do those things, then God would never listen to me. And so my relationship with God became this merit-based relationship, thinking that I could somehow earn a relationship with God by making promises to him. And if I lived up to those promises, then he would interact with me, and he would respond to me. But if God wasn't responding to my prayers, it meant that I wasn't living up to his standards, and he didn't want anything to do with me. And so over time, uh, this type of relationship, this karma type of relationship, where if I did good things, he would bless me, and if I did bad things, he would ignore me, uh, became very detrimental to me personally because I had this view of God that he was pointed in me. Because in high school, I was a typical teen who struggled deeply with sin. I sinned every single day. Uh, Honestly, to this day, I probably still sin every single day. And so because of that, I felt like I could never, ever get to that point that I needed to be in order for God to interact with me. Uh, And it affected my relationship with God, which naturally affected how I viewed everybody else. Like if I'm going to forgive you, then you better darn well show that you're worth my forgiveness. Because that's how I view God, viewed me. Your view of God dictates how you view other people. How you believe God treats you will dictate how you treat other people. Your theology affects your sociology. Your theology affects your anthropology. What you think about God affects what you think about yourself. And it affects what you think about others. Like if you cross me, you'll never cross me again. You jack with me. You'll never jack with me again. I mean, that's what it means, if we're honest. That's what it means to be a man in our society. You mess with me, I'll never forgive you. With me, I'll never forgive you. In fact, I'll showcase my power by ignoring your very existence. That's manhood. Revenge. Retribution. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that line of thinking. 
it is completely contrary to everything that Jesus stands for. That type of thinking, unforgiveness, is completely contrary to everything that Christianity stands for. You can't hold on to Christ and hold on to unforgiveness at the same time. You cannot hold on to Christ and hold on to unforgiveness at the same time. You have to let go of one. You either let go of Christ and hold on to unforgiveness, or you hold on to Christ and you let go of unforgiveness. It's one or the other. You cannot do both. Those are your only two options. Where do I get this idea from? Matthew 6.12. And you don't even have to open up your Bibles because a lot of you know it by heart. Jesus tells his disciples, when you, be, when you come before your Father in prayer, you ask him, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. <laughs> this is continuous thought. You cannot separate the two. You can't cling to the gospel and cling to its opposite. You have to let go of one. You have to. In fact, if you jump down just a few verses in verse 14, we don't like reading this one a lot. We like the Lord's Prayer. We don't like verse 14. It says this, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your trespasses. I don't like that verse. <laughs> That's why I don't read it. <laughs> right? That's typically what we do. Now, let me clarify something. This is not saying that if you don't forgive, you won't be justified. Okay, the Lord's Prayer is not about how to enter into a relationship with God. Jesus doesn't say, hey, read this prayer if you want to get saved. Instead, what Jesus is saying is as one who has been justified, as one who has been redeemed, as one who is in relationship with God, this is what it looks like to conduct yourself on a daily basis. As one who has been redeemed, this is what the redeemed life looks like. For those of you who have been granted grace, the natural response is that you would give grace. For those of you that have been granted grace, the natural response is that you would give grace. Because for those who actually understand and get grace, they will naturally give that to others. They will naturally give that to others. I'll say this, and I, I have to remind myself of this. If you don't show grace, you obviously don't know grace. If you don't show grace, you obviously don't know grace because a forgiven people forgive. A forgiven people forgive. Now, is it possible for someone to be forgiven by God and not forgive? Sure, I guess, uh, but it's completely contrary to God's design. Okay? Is it possible? Is it possible for someone to be forgiven by God and not forgive? Sure, I mean, I guess. Is it possible? Yes, we're sinners. But it's completely contrary to God's design. As forgiven people, we're called to forgive. It's one continuous thought. It's one continuous thought. So if that's God's design, <laughs> the hard question is, well, how do we live that out? Like, how do we actually do that in our prayer life? Like, what does that look like? Because if we're real, okay, in this room, if we're real, if we're honest, um, we've got a lot of guys in here who are struggling with unforgiveness, myself included. 
We've got a lot of you. Uh, I'll go maybe in this room. To some degree, you are struggling with unforgiveness. And then if you want to go a step further, some of you may even feel imprisoned by unforgiveness. You are imprisoned by the bitterness, shame, and condemnation that comes with unforgiveness. And so the question is, like, man, how do we go forward? Because some of you, are, you're in prison in all different ways. Okay, for, for, for some of you, you're in prison by sins of your past. Or maybe sins that are going on currently in your life. And there is frustration and anger and guilt and shame as you think about these sins. Like for some of you, you're in prison because of your addiction to porn. And you've tried over and over to get out of porn. You've tried, you've taken steps, but you just keep going back into it. And you can't forgive yourself. For others of you, it's a failed marriage. You made some mistakes that, that ruined your last marriage. And you're still in prison by the shame that comes with not forgiving yourself. And not understanding what forgiveness is. For others of you, it's your anger. Like you'll be doing good for a few months, and then all of a sudden you'll just lash out. And you'll say things to people that you dearly love that you wish you would have never said. And you, seem, you just can't get this under control. For others of you, it's financial mistakes. You've made some financial mistakes that hips on you and your family. And you can't seem to get out of this rut where you just are beating yourself up over and over again. For others of you, it's substance or alcohol abuse. You just continue to relapse. Whatever the struggle or sin may be, you're in this rut, this constant cycle of condemnation and guilt, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I know some of you have come in here, you've come to this retreat and you're tired. You are tired. Uh, for others of you, you're not necessarily imprisoned by your own sins, but you're imprisoned by the unforgiveness of others who have sinned against you. So maybe you can forgive yourself for some of the things that you've done, but you have a really hard time forgiving other people who have sinned against you. And I could go on and on. I'll give a couple. Maybe it's a dad who is absolutely non-existent in your life. Maybe he, was, maybe he was there, but emotionally, he wasn't there. <laughs> he never affirmed you. He never told you he loved you. He never told you how proud he was of you, and that wounded you, and you've never forgiven him. Some, some of you are imprisoned by your spouse's mistakes. She has sinned against you, and there's bitterness that you have in your heart because of that. Maybe your wife is emotionally absent, or there's no fizzy. And because of that, there's this unwillingness to forgive. Or maybe it's some other family member that did you wrong. Maybe it's a friend who stabbed you in the back. Maybe it's a boss who didn't treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. Maybe you got sued unjustly, and you've had to deal with the ramifications of that. Maybe there's people that have been racist to you and your family because of your culture and your ethnicity. I don't know what it is that you have struggled with. Fill in the blank. I don't know what each of you have been through. I only know what I've been through. But what I do know is this. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And we all live in these same broken, wretched bodies. And we all have these same sinful tendencies, even though they differ for each of us. And we all have been affected by broken relationships. The reality is, every single person has come into this retreat with baggage. 
every single person in this room, myself included, we all come into this retreat with baggage. There are no outsiders in this room. When it comes to unforgiveness, we are all insiders. All of us. We all know what that's like. We all deal with that. And overcoming unforgiveness, overcoming these fleshly tendencies is a process. For the believer in Christ, it is a daily. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is a daily prayer. That's a daily prayer. It's not a one-time deal. It's a continual dying to yourself, lifelong process. And it's a process that for those of you that trust in Christ, it's a process you've been called to. You've been called to this. This daily denying of yourself, this daily prayer, forgive me of my debts as I forgive others. That is a daily prayer. But what I want all of us in this room to realize is that God did not design us for bondage. God did not design us for bondage. John 10.10 says this, For the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Galatians 5.1, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. God has designed you men for freedom. That's why Christ came, so that we could walk in freedom. So the question is, how do we walk in the freedom of forgiveness? How do we pray this prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Like, how do we honestly do that? Well, let me give you two steps. Okay, you might, if you're not writing anything down, this might be the time to do so. Okay, but just here's a couple practical steps that into our prayer life as we try to un- overcome unforgiveness and walk in the light and the freedom of forgiveness. Okay, number one. Okay, acknowledge there is a legitimate debt owed. Okay, that's number one. Acknowledge that there is a legitimate debt owed. Personally, this means admitting, admitting that you have a problem. It's admitting, it's acknowledging that there is a a behavioral pattern in your life that is destructive to you and to those around you. You have a behavioral pattern pattern in your life, sin. It is destructive to you and to others around you. Do not minimize that issue. We have to recognize and own the severity of our sin, that our sin is hurtful to to us and our sin is hurtful to those around us. And the gospel says you have no power to fix it. You have no power to fix it. In and of yourself, you can't do it. You can't overcome There can be no healing. There is no recovery apart from owning your mess. Apart from owning my mess. There is no recovery. We must recognize that there is a legitimate debt owed. And I'd say the same is true for those who have sinned against you. Okay? It's man like, ah, it's no big deal. That person sinned against me, whatever, forget them. No big deal. No, that's that's not the appropriate response. The appropriate response is to realize, no, if someone sinned against you, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. They hurt you. They shouldn't have done that, and you need to own that. If you're ever going to forgive them, you need to own the pain. And you need to own the fact that what they did was wrong, God hates it, and you accept that. You have to start there. That's step one. You can't end there, or you're going to be really depressed. Okay? But you start there. That's step one. Step two. You view that debt 
you view that debt through the lens of the cross. Okay, so you acknowledge, number one, you acknowledge that there's a legitimate debt owed. But then step number two is that you view that debt through the lens of the cross. Okay, that's absolutely paramount. In order for us to understand and embrace forgiveness, we must understand the magnitude and horror of the cross. We must understand the magnitude and horror of the cross. God hates sin. He hates it. How do you know he hates it? He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. That's how much he hates it. And Christ did nothing wrong. That's how much he hates it. In God's economy, in God's economy, nobody, nobody goes away unpunished. Let me say that again. Nobody goes away unpunished. Either Christ is punished on the sinner's behalf or the sinner is punished if he doesn't trust in Christ. Someone always gets punished in, Christ, in, in God's economy. Jesus or the sinner. But the beauty of the gospel is this. We have a king who is willing to absorb the cost of our sin in order to set us free. Jesus Christ, the God-man, became the sacrificial lamb in order to substitute himself for us so that he could absorb all of our debt. That's the gospel. On the cross, Christ acknowledged our debt owed, and he absorbed it. He absorbed our addiction to pornography. He absorbed our substance abuse. He absorbed our financial mistakes. He absorbed our temper problem. He absorbed our pride. He absorbed our sin so that our account could be clear. He absorbed all of that so that our account would be clear, so that we would no longer have to live under the yoke, under the weight of sin. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. Not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you somehow negotiated with God. None of that. Christ will cross on your behalf solely because he was burdened by your condition and he desired to do something about it. Christ went to the cross because he was burdened by our condition and he wanted to do something about it. That's why he went. It doesn't even make sense. Like if you're sitting here like, that is not fair. You're right. It's not fair. It's inexplicable. It's a ridiculous offer. But Christ says it's yours. You can accept it if you want it. We don't deserve to be in the same room with Christ. Yet he says, you come sit at my table. Until you realize that you don't deserve to be in the same room as Christ, you'll never appreciate grace. You'll never appreciate grace. Um, I've never been to Alcoholics Anonymous, but I have some very dear family members that have. And I'll tell you this, a lot of people at AA get grace. A lot, not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them at AA get grace. Just walking into the room, walking into an AA meeting is a statement. It's a declaration. I'm not okay. If that's not enough, they give you a name tag. And they say, hey, put this on with your name on it. And then we're all going to go around. And you're going to say, say your name. And you're going to say you're an alcoholic. Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. Or in other words, hi, I'm Jason. And I've got a problem that I cannot fix. God has got to intervene or I'm not going to make it. 
And that is why there is so much healing going on at AA because they get the first step. They realize that they have a legitimate debt that they owe and that if God doesn't intervene, they're not going to make it. If you ever go to a treatment facility for folks dealing with addiction, which I know some of you may have been to those. I have, I've never personally had to go to one, but I've gone in order to support some of my family members. And they're some of the most freeing and vulnerable places that you will ever go to are these treatment facilities. Because everyone at this treatment facility, or most of them, understand that they are sick. And they are desperate to get help. They are done playing games. And they are there because they're saying, I will do, I'm in this place, I'll do whatever it takes to get out of it. And if it means going to treatment for 30, 60, 90 days, then I'll do it because I understand how sick I am. And there is healing going on all the time at these treatment facilities because these people understand that they owe a legitimate debt that they cannot repay, but they realize as they view it through the lens of the cross that forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible. And as you fall at the cross and realize that there is inexplicable grace for those who confess their sin, this massive weight of condemnation is finally release from your soul as you trust in Christ to absorb all of your debt and make you clean. And even after you trust in Christ for the first time, that is a daily reminder. You preach the gospel to yourself every single day. And when you have trouble doing that, you get some brothers like this to remind you. You hear me? We need each other. So how do you release someone who sinned against you? Well, you do the same thing that you do for yourself. You acknowledge the debt that they owe. And you view that debt through the lens of the cross. No one gets away with anything in God's economy. Let me give you a couple verses and then I'm going to wrap it up. Okay, Romans 12, 5. Since no one gets away with anything in God's economy, you don't seek revenge. If someone has sinned against you, um, they're either going to get punished or Christ will be punished for them. So you don't need to seek out vengeance. As you pray, you don't need to pray for God to smite them. You wish them well. That's Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. You pray for their good. That's a great first step. If you want to get over bitterness, try praying for them on a consistent basis. I would encourage you for 40 days, do a, and pray for that person who's hurt you for 40 days, that God would bless them. After that 40 days, you're going to have a hard time holding on to resentment. Proverbs 24, 17, don't rejoice when your enemy falls. In order to forgive someone, we can't grieve at their, I mean, we, we can't rejoice at their calamities. We grieve. We grieve when they're hurt. You intentionally love them through prayer. Matthew 5, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then we got Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I'm grateful that there's a clarification, if possible. <laughs> because there are people, and you, you and I know them. We are called to forgive everybody. Reconciliation with everybody is not always possible. You will not make peace with everybody. But we are called to forgive them. How are we able to do this? How are we able to pray in this manner? When you realize that you're the most filthy person that you know. And God gave you grace. And if he gave you grace, he can give anybody grace. I don't know your heart. I know my heart. 
And I know my heart is sick. I know my heart is prideful. I still, I wake up and I think about the grace that God's given me. I'm like, why? Once you realize that God gave you something that you absolutely don't deserve, you'll give that to everybody else. You'll give that to everybody else. And so I want to encourage you. We've got about 24 hours left with this retreat. Do not leave this retreat until you have met with your God and you have acknowledged your debt and you have viewed that debt in the lens of the cross. Don't leave until you've done that. You meet with your God. That's why this time is set up the way it is. You meet with your God over the next 24 hours. And then James 5.16 says this. I'm going to end on this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Men, something powerful happens. Something valuable happens. Something transformative, transformative happens when we confess our sins to one another. I don't know why God set it up that way, but he did. And for some of you, the way God is going to heal you is by putting you in a place where you are going to decide and surrender to the idea of going to another brother and saying, hey, I need to tell you about some things that are going on in my life. And they're dirty, and I'm not proud of them. And God is going to process through that confession. But he's going to call you to take a step of faith and go to, go to a brother. Don't just go to any brother. Oh, I don't know where he's at in the Lord. I'm just going to go confess to him. No, don't do that, Okay. Find someone you trust, someone that you know loves the Lord and they love you. And you sit down with them. And you say, I need to tell you about some things going on in my life. Or I need to tell you about this person that I've never forgiven and I hate them and I'm imprisoned because of bitterness. Forgive us our debts. This is a team sport. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There are none. We need each other. Okay, We need each other. We've got to do this. And so I want to encourage you with that. Um, as, we, as we go forward the rest of the retreat, I think we're going to have some time right after this to practice this. Uh, and so I'm going to pray, and then Stephen's going to come up here. Um, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, I kind of like just, if the Spirit puts something on my heart, I'd like to do it real quick. So all throughout Scripture you see, um, when people approach Jesus, when they're in this desperate situation, okay, so in Mark 1, when the leper comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees in a state of humility and reverence, saying, I need you. <laughs> Help me. I can't, I can't fix myself. And you see that continually, like th- throughout the Gospels, when people approach Jesus, when they're in a desperate place, they get on their knees, and they say, help me. And so I'm going to challenge, if you're not able, don't get on your knees. <laughs> I realize some of us, we got some, our knees aren't working too good. That's fine. You sit in your chair. If you're able, I want to encourage you to get on your knees. And what we're going to do is we're just going to spend a minute in silence. And I want you to just acknowledge your debt. This is a daily reminder. Acknowledge your debt. And view it through the lens of the cross. I'm going to pray over us in about a minute.
Father God, I know for some of us, silence is awkward. For some of us, we haven't been silent before you in a really long time. But Father, we're trusting right now in the silence that your forgiveness and your grace would rain down on this place. That you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, I confess, I don't know anybody's hearts, I know mine. I still lust, God. I, I still bounds of marriage. I, I still want people to respect me. I, I want people to honor me, not you. I, I struggle with humility, God. I, God, I struggle with anger still. Father, there's still some sins in my life I don't know how I'm ever going to over- overcome. And God, I'm thankful that I am not alone. This is sacred ground. We all confess with one voice we are sinners, undeserving of your grace, undeserving of your mercy, undeserving of your forgiveness. What we deserve is the opposite. We deserve punishment. We deserve eternal separation from God. But we are going to accept and also confess what your word says, that Christ came to die for sinners. And because of the cross and through the resurrection, there is hope, there is security, there is new life for anybody who trusts in the glorious name of Jesus. And so we declare again, Christ, that we trust in you. And we trust in what you're and what you accomplish through the cross, we trust in what that accomplished for our sin. Our debt is cleared. And God, I pray that the rest of today we would walk in freedom. Some of us, this is going to be a process. God, would you help them to process today? To pursue some other men? To be honest about some things they've never been honest about? To be real and to come clean? Because we know there is compassion for those of us that confess. Because you're a good God. We rest in you. Thank you for this time. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.